poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. Energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. Let's be honest, there is much that needs fixing in this country. It's the reason for this new podcast. And often in times of adversity, a country turns to one person, an individual, who they hope will be that fixer. Someone who, through sheer ability with a sprinkling of charisma, a positive get-things-done attitude, integrity, and I guess some good luck thrown in for good measure will make things right. These people are hard to find and mostly are complicated and reluctant heroes. Our next guest isn't that person. When asked recently if he would run for president, he said this, I'm not interested in politics. I have a spiritual responsibility. Welcome to the MoneyWeb podcast, Fix SA. My name's Jeremy Maggs. Our guests in coming weeks are going to be asked how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? How, in the shortest space of time, can we become a competitive and successful nation? Imtia Suleiman, who started and oversees the Gift of the Givers organization, defines civil society and the humanitarian role it should play. Speaking at the Daily Maverick's recent The Gathering conference, he said, and I quote, South Africa is not falling apart, but this doesn't mean we don't have challenges and difficulties. He went on to say, there's nothing we can't fix. We've proven that in everything we do in South Africa. So how would Imtiaz Suleiman fix South Africa? Imtiaz, a very warm welcome to this podcast. If we're not broken, as you suggest, we seem to be pretty battered. How close to breaking point do you think we are? No, we're not close to breaking point at all. If we, if we take the, the, the lessons from the past and look at the resilience of all people, yes, there's lots of hope. People are scared, afraid, uncertain. It's just been a plethora of events in the last few years that's molding that mindset. And the key to all this is to change the mindset. If you go back to 2019, we got hit by heavy floods. At the same time, a cyclone died in three different countries. Then came COVID, which took a huge toll, not only economically, but caused severe pressure on mental health, to which many people haven't recovered from that. And if you add difficulties on that kind of crisis, it just makes the situation far worse than it actually looks. And then came the civil unrest, which everybody thought was an insurrection. It really wasn't an insurrection. It was opportunists trying to use people as fodder to try to cause some kind of disturbance, which never, you know, never had the impact they wanted it to have. And then finally came the floods of 2022, which reversed the negativity of 2021. Because those who were looted, mm. and helped those that looted them, you know, in, in, during the floods, and it brought about a new social cohesion in the province itself. And with that came the fuel price, the, the rising interest rates, the corruption in government, the problems in the political parties. People looked at all that and became negative. And again, I come back to the first point. It's about mindset change. What desperate situation are we? I can explain in many of my talks that I'm a disaster tourist. I don't do normal tourism. I go to countries where people in the same street, same community, same village, same race, same religion, neighbors for years, tear each other apart. That pain and that revenge takes 300 years or more to fix, and in fact, you can never fix it. To us, 
the guiding light about the quality of our people and their resilience is 27 April 1994, when the whole world media focused on South Africa and all the war rooms came here expecting violence, bloodshed, disorder. People filled their homes with food, kept their passports ready, kept all their valuable items ready, ready to leave the country. It was the most boring incident for world media. Nothing happened. Everybody stood in patient queues, no friction, no disorder. And if nothing happened, everything happened. It set the template for the mindset of the people that we have in this country. Years of oppression, detention without trial, loved ones missing, every kind of injustice. And they came out and said, we won't be vengeful. They didn't say it in the words, they said it in the action. We won't be vengeful, there's no revenge, we'll build a new society. And that is the standard which we have to go to. The fact that the country didn't burn apart, tear apart, to me, nothing else matters. We survived 2008, the international financial collapse. We survived interest rates of 24%. We'll survive much more. It's about mindset change. And the more I speak, and the more talks I go to, and the more people I meet, they are ready for mindset change. And there's only one requirement here. Take ownership of the country. The country doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to the people of South Africa. And we need to take ownership of it. MTR Suleiman, you rightly say that so many South Africans are scared and afraid. I would also suggest to you that uh, the optimism of 1994 is a long time ago. How then do we start to affect that mindset change that you're talking about for many people who are living lives of absolute anger and despair? One of the sessions I had with somebody, they said the light bulb just went on. We need to turn anger into action. And that's exactly what we need. When we, we've been for years relegating the responsibility of the country to the government. And I repeat, the country doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to us. And we need active citizenry to do things together. And in the last few months, I've seen that in a great way. Let's take the most recent example. We got called by the fire chief from Tabeha to say there's huge problems with the fire. We don't, that we, our fire trucks can't get to the fire. Our fire fighters are exhausted. They need nutrition and water and other backup supplies, but we're not going to manage. We get full cooperation, and this is something important that the country needs to understand, that we need to do this together. Government, corporates, private sector, for one purpose only, to save the country and to save the dignity of our people. Mm. You save dignity of people, you save everything. You talk well, about the importance, MTRs, of active citizenry, yet it seems to be so difficult for South Africans to coalesce, to come together and uh, to work in one, pulling in the same direction. Why can't we do that? We needed that mindset change, and this is what it's all about. And everywhere we've been, we're seeing that starting to come to the surface. People first needed to know. You know, when, when you have negative thoughts... And your mind is paralyzed, your body becomes paralyzed when you think nothing can be done. But when you change that narrative to say that everything can be done, that the country is not burning, it's not falling apart, we're far better off than many other people in many other parts of the world. And you use that as the braces, you suddenly see the light bulbs go on. The next question is, what can I do? How do I change this? And the change starts with yourself. You know, be positive and to need to understand Everybody in government is not corrupt. Every cop is not a bad guy. Every civil servant is not lazy. So we have that basis, and a lot of people do agree with that, and it's a fact. And if we harness that 
and work together, which we've been doing what we did to the fires in Tabeka and other parts, in Wadjakasfontein and other places. You see there's a willingness to bring about effective change. The CEOs of companies, let's go back to one or two important things that happened. In 2020, when the, this COVID came, for the first time, CEOs of companies called, not the CSI department, the CEO. And the CEO said, don't worry about the 90% BE points. Don't worry about fact certificate. Don't worry about publicity. Just tell me, what do we need to do to save the country and to save our people? Now, that's a huge mindset change. That the change bring compassion into commercialization. In 2021, when the unrest came, who were the first guys who phoned? The guys whose shops were burnt, manufacturing facilities were destroyed, were the first guys to phone and say, what can we do to effect change? And the real cherry on the top for me was 11th April 2022, when the flood waters were rising eight meters in 45 minutes. I'm expecting people to call for a helicopter, a boat, divers, earth moving equipment, none of the above. The only calls we got was from corporate South Africa into 1 a.m. asking, how much do you need and what do you need? And when you have that kind of commitment, it's about saving the country. There is a willingness to save the country and we all need to buy into the narrative. Are you absolutely convinced that there is a willing majority then who want to work together to change and fix things? Or is it just simply pockets of companies and individuals who feel they have to do it? No, no. It's no more about tokenism. It's about realism. It's about saving the country. I keep emphasizing this. It's about saving the country. I was the guest speaker at AgriSA, and they all said, we need to change the way we operate and the way we do things, and we need to incorporate people and pass skills and teach them. The first step is realization. The second step is to effect that realization into practical action. Everything doesn't happen overnight, but as long as the process starts, it happens. The corporates are incredible. In the old days, they would tell you, all right, we need the BE points. We're going to do help on preschool, give something here, something there. Nothing really concrete, nothing decisive. Now they get back to you and say, you tell us. What will make the change? How much must we invest? What must we do? How can we make a difference? Can we bring our teams and the CEOs to be part of the process? Can we come and see? And that was largely driven by COVID because many of them said, it's only now after all these years of money and affluence and richness, we understood the pain of poor people because we saw what happened to our own employees. We need this change. It's the mm. same thing they told me with the floods in 2022, that we're staying awake at night to give you money because we've learned from the pain of COVID. The last point is that to ask our corporate serious, we're in the fortunate position of having queues of corporates wanting to know how they can work with us. We actually have to give them a number to say, we can't talk to you today. We'll talk to you in 10 days time. And they wait. And for the first time ever in December, we flooded our requests what do we do next? You said to me at the beginning of our conversation, Imtel Suleiman, that we're not at breaking point, and I accept that. But you will concede that the clock is ticking louder, that we are running out of time to, in your words, save the country. There's absolutely no doubt. That's why there's an urgency to do what we're doing. Because, let me stress again, hunger won't cause bone burn the country. People have been dying from the Eastern Cape for 10, 15 years, for so decades. They're dying there right now from hunger. Racism won't destroy us. We had it for years. Class difference won't destroy us. We had it for years. What will destroy us is if people have no dignity left. 
when you have no dignity and you are totally humiliated, mm. when there's nothing, everything's lost and there's nothing more to lose, there's no consequences for the amount of negative energy that can come out from people in that situation. We need to prevent negative energy and to change negative energy into positive energy. And there are steps in which you can do that. There's a whole blueprint, mm. basically giving people a quality of life. And here it must be made very clear because people are skeptical. It's the government's responsibility. Yes, it's the government's responsibility. It's right, it's true. You say we pay taxes, we pay rates, we pay fuel levy, we pay this, that, and the other. But why is the government not delivering? The reality is 7 million people's taxes can't look after 65 million people. So whether it's Australians, the Germans, the Canadians, or Americans running this country, they all going to have the same problem. You're going to tell me about state capture and wasting of funds, that's true. But in spite of that, 7 million people's taxes, the tax base is too low for such a high unemployment rate, so much of social challenges, fuel price, inflation, it can't manage. And to give the government, we have to hold their head at least for the next four years till they put the systems in place and we can effect that change, improve the health system, the education system, the learners with educational needs, help them. And there's a lot of things. I mean, that's a whole group on its own. Do, do you believe I, that government is willing to have its hand held there? Yes. It, it, we remember, in government itself, there's a lot of good people. There's one problem, or there's two problems. One is the good people all don't have the skills. They have the heart. They have the willingness to change. And I mean, I'm in contact with them all the time. They call us all the time. People want to talk, how do we make differences? What we need to change? The Minister of Police called me recently to speak to the SAPS in, in, in Cape Town. Other ministers engage us. How do we fix the country? What do we do? And, and then their biggest obstacle are their systems. Their systems are an absolute disaster. Nobody can effect urgent changes or bring about urgent needs effectively because of the system they have. And that's one of the things I've been speaking to them. Change your systems to make it more friendly, easy, accessible, and, and, and for effective action. So answer your question, yes. There's willingness. I mean, or let's take another example right now. The guys that are most, most exhausted are the public healthcare workers in the medical field. We've lost 1,800 doctors who died from COVID. The nurses are exhausted. Posts have been cut. Register posts have been cut. The backup surgery, the catch-up surgery is huge. Let's run it to five to six years. People will be frustrated, they're heartbroken. And these are public servants, they belong to the public service. They are the same people who come up and say, we'll work Saturday and Sunday, after hours. Give us the resources, give us the extra manpower, our people need help, we'll do the catch-up surgery. And there's so many requests like that. So there's willingness among civil servants right. and politicians, the good ones, to fix the country. You tell government it needs to change its systems. What do you mean by that? To declare a national disaster. And it takes them nine months to act. Government doesn't understand three words. Urgency, emergency, and disaster is not in their vocabulary. When it comes to disaster situation, as one of the examples, I mean, a minister calls me and say, can you please help us with the floods in Indansani, East London in January? I'm embarrassed, the words of the minister. I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to do. I can't release budget. People I need and my systems prevent me from helping the people immediately. Can you help? Can you go there? I said, Minister, we're already there. We're already helping. Right. Another minister engages me and says, what do you think about disasters preparedness? I said, it's a disaster. And then she's, the minister asked, why? I said, there's no clear chain of command. Which department is involved? National, provincial, regional, municipality, disaster management, K-9, Defense Force. Who is it? You've got no clear change of command. 
you have willing people. Yes, you've got great personnel, the firefighters, the disaster guys. The guys are trained, willing to do what they have to do. But the systems prevent them from doing it effectively and rapidly as one example. MTR Suleiman, you've painted a vast canvas of problems in this country. What's the biggest problem we face? What is keeping you awake at night? The thing that I'm most afraid is people losing their dignity. And then we're going to have an upheaval. And we're racing against time to deal with that. The hunger in the provinces, the medical care, the lack of opportunity for children. They have the, the learning disorders, the psychological impact in the country. We don't have enough psychologists and we're not training enough, many fast enough. And the youth. We need unemployed youth to be given positive energy. A call made to corporate South Africa, absorb youth in all the various departments of your country and give them a stipend. It doesn't have to be a big salary, a stipend that will help them take care of the families, will eradicate hundreds of thousands of hungry people with that stipend. But more than that, the stipend will bring self-esteem. The opportunity to work will bring dignity. The dignity will bring positivity. And positivity will create, move negative energy into positive energy. And every company can afford to take in several of these youth to give them that chance. Because when they come to job, you say, what is your experience? They don't have any experience. They don't have a job. Where, where, do, you, where a job. do you find the money for the stipend? Do you believe that uh, it exists both corporately and in the, private, in the public sector? We don't need it from the public sector. We need it from the corporates. The public sector is already overburdened. What 7 million people's taxes can't deal with 765 million people is impossible. They can't even pay doctor's salaries. They can't place interns. They've cut register posts. So the money is just not there. The private sector is sitting with trillions of rands of cash parked off, and we need to put that into service. It, it is that service that will change the country and bring the positivity and the lack of crime and everything. So what, what then is your call to the private sector? Are you telling them they have to dig deeper? Well, it's not so much about digging deeper. It's a tax write-off. You know, I'm not talking about 15 or 20,000 rand. It's going to be as simple as 2,000 rand to put people in as part of your... And, and the companies show their profits. It runs into millions of rands. Now, to take off a one or two or three million extra from there, which from which you'll get a tax write-off because it's a salary and it's about skills development, you're going to enhance the population. There's going to be more money in the country, more positive, more entrepreneurship. The economy will grow. The tax base will grow. We all got to benefit. Whatever happens in one small corner of South Africa affects the whole country. So yes, and there is, there is already discussion. You know, let's take, for example, franchise shops, three to 400 branches. Take one extra person in for, for, to give them the skills and the stipend and to, you know, an apprenticeship. We can do that with so many chain stores. We'll see the knock-on effect in all the families. It's not impossible. And I've raised that issue again with several corporate companies, and there's a willingness to discuss that option. So how do you make sure then that if that is one way of fixing South Africa, that it works, that we stay the course, that it's implemented and managed properly? You do several things at the same time. And you do make, you, you put up projects that are realistic, practical, and can work. And, and there's a living example of that. So what's the living thing? I'll go back to what we do. People are in need in the country. They have no water. We drill boreholes. The corporate South Africa comes and says, yes, we agree. Put boreholes in the hospitals, put it in the schools, put it in the communities. Thanks to corporate South Africa, in the last two and a half years, we've put in more than 500 boreholes, 45 alone in Tabeka to help with day zero. That's a ex- positive example where corporates come and say, 
We affected the lives of thousands of people on a daily basis from one borehole. We're making a difference. From the same walls, it's hygiene, it's drinking water, take the medication, water for agriculture, for plants and for crops. The other one, the one that hasn't been done yet, which has to be tested and which, has, which we are promoting, the, the health department has cut the post of registrars. Now, if you cut registrar posts, registrars are those doctors who become specialists. It means we could have less specialists going forwards, and it means we could have less trained students going backwards, downwards because the junior, junior ones are trained by the registrar. That affects the health system, brings again poor medical health, poor caring for the patients, not decisive interventions in terms of academic medicine. That's a big problem for the country. And you're gonna have more litigation and more people upset and more people dying. So again, I've been speaking to corporate South Africa, let's fund 500 registrars. Yes, it's a government responsibility, it's true, but there's a budget crisis right now, and it's not for the sake of the government, we're doing it for the people of our country. 500 registrars, 1.2 million in each, which is not a lot for a corporate company, and let's do it over four years. 1.2 million a year for four years, because it takes four years for a guy to qualify as a specialist. But in that four years, we say we give you enough registrars, which is only in the academic hospitals, in all the disciplines, and you got four years, we give you one call a night, not three calls, a, a, a one call a week, not three calls a week which means you've got more time to study and more time to teach, to pass skills to the guys behind, below you because they're going to be treating our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And then once a month, as part of, the, of that support, you're going to go to a rural hospital, you're going to transfer skills, you're going to see patients, and when you qualify as a consultant, you're going to spend four years in a public health facility to help the people. That's another example. If, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Imtia Suleiman, what I think you're saying is that there is more and more work for the private sector. You're saying to me that there is a willingness for the private sector to step in. By doing that, though, aren't you simply rendering government absolutely irrelevant? No. This thing can't be done without government. Government has its responsibility. They're paying for the hospitals. They're paying for the consumables. They're paying for the nurses. They're paying for the other doctors. Where they're running short is where we come in. And we tell them at the same time, and of course, your guys' job in the media and the public job and the, the supporters of the different political parties, what are you doing with the tax money? And that question has been raised hundreds of times, which has created a panic situation in government already. So we're saying, okay, we understand. You guys' money disappeared. You give the contract to your grandfather, your girlfriend, and your wife, and all that kind of things happen. This has to stop. Your job as government is to strengthen the oversight of parliament, the SIU, the hawks, all the guys that check for crooks and how to make sure that money is effectively managed. We in the private sector will hold your hand while you fix those systems up and put people of ethics, you know, spirituality, values in your system that will make sure that the country runs properly. So because we need to do this together, we give you four years, not 400 years. You've got four years to fix the system, to strengthen SARS and everything else required for the effective functioning of a country. And we will hold your hand and we'll pay the salaries of the doctors and the teachers that we've lost and the special needs teachers that we need and the psychologists and help here, there and everywhere. We fix potholes right. for ourselves. Your, your vision, of course, already. your vision is predicated on uh, government corruption uh, solving the problem. But uh, many would argue that it is simply too entrenched, that uh, uh, government's not going to affect the kind of positive change that you're looking for in the next four years. Well, that's, that's, we'll, 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 they, it's their choice. 
They want to be in power. The public is watching. They got one and a half year towards election. And they got, they have to speed up the process to see what happens between now and April 2024. If they don't toe the line, if they don't play the game, there's every chance they can be replaced. Are they willing to risk that? This should be done not because it's a risk of losing power, but it's the right thing to do. And at the same time, I mean, I've seen in different areas where government has played a phenomenal role. Let's take Yakutsman thing. When the mine tailings dam collapsed, I've never seen social development staff so jacked up, so energized, so caring, counting all the people that were moving from their homes, organizing them in lists, and being very, very effective. Because it was a high-profile emergency that had global coverage. Uh, My bet is that it had been something smaller, uh, that probably wouldn't have happened. It's because the eyes of the world were on them. They had no choice. The case of floods was much bigger, and the response was a total disaster. They were way behind time in, in the case of the floods, which was more than 100 times bigger than Yagas thing. And they were just not organized. It comes back to the same point. There are pockets of people in government throughout the country in the different provinces who want to make things happen. And as they're happening, there's more and more buy-in from different sectors in the government's arena calling to say, how do we work together and how do we change the system for the better? And that's going beyond the civil system, uh, servants, even into the politicians. Imtia Suleiman, I always ask the same question uh, to every guest at the end of this podcast, and it's a very simple one. As we look towards the future, when you're talking to your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren in 20 years' time, what are you going to tell them about the early 2020s in South Africa, and what is their role as the future generation in building the country, in holding the baton? We had great challenge. We had, I'll tell them, we had great euphoria in 1994. Things went well. And in the process, we dropped uh, the ball and we lost the way. But our resilience and our determination as a country helped us. And, and even right now, all corporates are rethinking after COVID, after the corruption issues, also after the floods, everybody's having a rethink. And the fact that we have a rethink, that alone is positive. The rethink is about how to build the country. So it's tell my grandchildren that you always have to be innovative. And remember one important principle and four important points. The one important principle, as you, my grandchildren, is to make sure that, to understand that whoever does an atom's weight of good shall see it. It doesn't matter how big or how small, but you should do something. And secondly, as part of your teaching, me as your grandfather, I tell you this, they learned these four important principles, spirituality, morality, values, and ethics. Imbibe that into your soul and teach it to your children, your grandchildren, and your family. And if we do that, we don't need any policeman to monitor us. Our own soul Mm. and our own conscience will monitor us to do the right thing in the interest of the people of our country first. And in that process, we will benefit. Imtiaz Suleiman says we need to take collective ownership of the country and the solutions, he says, lie in South Africans standing together. Imtiaz, thank you so much for joining us on the Fix SA podcast here on MoneyWeb. I'm Jeremy Max. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.